Coming at you lavish on location in the heart of the Mizzou campus. This is Mizzou Our Time to Podcast, your source for the voices of the Mizzou Our Time to Lead campaign. You can join the campaign by liking Mizzou Giving on Facebook. You also can visit giving.missouri.edu or visit mizzou.com to learn more about the Mizzou Alumni Association. My name is Eric Ferguson and I work in the Office of Advancement and I am joined by two fantastic co-hosts today, Steve Qualls and Jennifer Manning. Steve and Jennifer, how are you doing today? Good. Doing pretty good. All right. Uh, Before we get to today's feature interview with Dean Elizabeth Laboa to talk about the Translational Precision Medicine Complex, I'm two for two on saying that today, by the way. Uh, Let's give the people, the listeners, the faithful listeners of Missouri Time to Podcast, uh, just a brief rundown of what's going on around campus. Uh, Steve, as the the, uh, student representative here today, Steve is our uh, intern on the... uh, well, I guess right now you're just your you're student worker yes. uh, of the Advancement Creative Services. So we get we get the student perspective from you. How is uh, how are your studies going so far this semester? Uh, they're going well. Um, fall semester it's week four now, so it's actually starting to pick up with the first round of exams and things of that nature. So uh, it's going to get hectic really quick, especially with homecoming around the corner. But studies are going well. And you have a mix of classroom and online classes right yes so how's that because I, I never had to, I never like all of my class because it was a long time ago um, we, we didn't really do the online classes so how do how do those work um no they're very interesting so um, I'm not in any self-paced ones which is when you can literally kind of pace how you like do your work I still have deadlines and everything to meet as if it was an actual that's how I work best met. yeah but um <laughs> but yeah so but no it's fine it kind of opens up your schedule for the ability to do more things whether it be work more or be a little bit more involved in orgs it's a little bit more responsibility when you're at home to uh check online and make sure all those things are getting done all right and then jennifer as a mizzou alumni association representative i will defer to you on homecoming preparation and excitement (laughs) and what's going on are you working with a lot with the uh, alumni association student board um, I've been working a little bit with them um, and then the homecoming steering committee as well. Um, they're the ones who are mostly responsible for getting everything off the ground and working with the Alumni Association to make sure everything happens and gets done well. Um, so I've been working with a few of those students just to help them with whatever they need help with. And, and I'm going to put you on the spot. What is our theme this year for homecoming? It is Game On Tiger Strong. Ooh, I like that. That would look good on a t-shirt. It will, and you can purchase those t-shirts at the Mizzou Bookstore um, coming up here in a few weeks. All right. That sounds great. Um, Speaking of Mizzou Mizzou Homecoming, one of the events that takes place during Mizzou Homecoming is the Hall of Fame luncheon, the Mizzou Hall of Fame, on Friday, October 19th, and we recently uh, revealed our inductees. Uh, in the uh, the latest issue of Mizzou Magazine, and then I also believe on MAA Twitter and Facebook, social uh, social media all across right the channels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, MySpace. Uh, we are on MySpace for sure. Friendster, definitely. Mm-hmm. So anyway, our three inductees this year are uh, William Trogdon, a critically renowned author who you probably know as William Least Heat Moon, Debbie Turner Bell, uh, 1990 Miss America broadcast journalist and leadership development consultant. And then Sam Walton, uh, the entrepreneur and founder of Walmart and Sam's Club. Uh, As I said, the Hall of Fame luncheon takes place Friday, October 19th. It's open to the public. We'd love to see you there. Um, Anything else going on around campus that I'm missing? Hey, the football team. How about them? 2-0. And then uh, this week, I'm a little scattered, but we're traveling to Purdue. Is that right? We're on the road to Purdue if anybody's going to be in the area. Yes, absolutely. Come out and support your Tigers wherever you are. or Watch parties all across the nation. They're, They're our team no matter where you are. Uh, so that's what's going on around campus. We'd also like to provide a quick update on the Mizzou Our Time to Lead campaign. Um, as you might know, we launched the campaign in October 2015 with the goal of $1.3 billion. And our campaign focuses on four priorities. Building our endowment, creating signature centers and institutes, fueling a campus renaissance, 
and supporting student success. And thanks to the generosity of our alumni and friends, the campaign has raised $1.08 billion so far. Thank you to everyone who has supported our students and faculty by making Mizzou stronger. And without any further ado, let's get to our interview with Dr. Elizabeth Luboa, who is Dean of the College of Engineering and Vice Chancellor for Strategic Partnerships. Dean Luboa is our first two-time guest on the podcast, and uh, this time we took a deeper dive. Actually, last summer, we talked to her about a range of subjects, and one of them was the Translational Precision Medicine Complex. So this time we go a little bit deeper on the TPMC, uh, which has been designated as the University of Missouri System's top priority by the Board of Curators. And here's our talk with Dean Leboa. We are back on Mizzou, our time to podcast, and we are here with Dr. Elizabeth Leboa, Dean of the College of Engineering and newly appointed Vice Chancellor for Strategic Partnerships. Thank you for having you having us with you today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So uh, you are the first repeat uh, guest on our show. So oh, wow. Right there. Wow, that's, thank you. That's pretty big. <laughs> um, but so the last time we were here, you were in a different office during the renovations. You're in a new office with a new title. Tell me a little bit about what, uh, what Vice Chancellor for Strategic Partnerships, what does that entail? Well, really, in this, uh, the most immediate and compelling and exciting initiative I'm working on in that role is, is related to the Translational Precision Medicine Complex. And it really is trying to bring uh, not just academic and uh, academy partners together, but also industry and really engage in a public-private approach to uh, initiatives in the Translational Precision Medicine Complex. In general, uh, people in this role really look at how what's happening in the university can be translated out to work more closely with industry, mm -hmm. but strategic partnerships to really drive uh, the mission and vision of the university as a whole. But like I said right now, I'm, I'm thrilled to have the focus really be on the Translational Precision Medicine Complex. All right, and so let's back that up a little. We're going to define some terms uh, for, for English majors <laughs> like me. Mouthful. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about translational first, translational precision medicine complex. What does the translational mean? Yes, yes. So the, the really in incredibly important aspect of this facility and the programming that will happen in it is this translational aspect. So a lot of us, we, we think about research and we might think of a faculty or scientists uh, working at the bench and, and doing really interesting research but that might just end up in journal articles. Um, but what we talk about here is truly translating that research and in the context of, of what we're talking about in this facility is really cutting edge research in cancer, vascular, neural diseases and translating that from benchtop to bedside. So we don't want to do research that just ends up in journal articles, whereas mm -hmm. that's of course very important to make sure we're publishing and, and getting it out, uh, getting all this incredible work out there into the public. But actually, what can we truly translate to help patients? So mm -hmm. benchtop to bedside is um, is a lot of what is is thought of in the context of translational. Okay, and then precision medicine. What's what does that mean? Precision medicine is truly where uh, the future of healthcare is going. So the human genome was mapped back in the early 2000s, I think around 2002 or 2003. Well, precision medicine is looking now at an individual patient on how you treat 
that person as an individual. So a cheek swab to get a little bit of, of um, that person's DNA mm -hmm. and so that you can now actually diagnose and treat that individual based on their specific genetic makeup. Mm -hmm. But precision medicine goes beyond that. It is not just the genetics of a person, mm -hmm. it's also what's called the epigenetics or, or okay. what's outside of the genetics. And that means your environment, your lifestyle, your diet, what else uh, goes into you as an individual that really can drive both um, how a disease might occur in you, um, how we would treat that disease. Um, in the context of cancer, for example, there's specific genotyping of tumors that can now come into play and in how you and how you treat a person's cancer. Mm -hmm. um, so really, precision medicine, looks at all of us as individuals and says, okay, I'm not going to treat um, you, uh, you're, you're a, a male, I'm a female. Well, you know what, there's been uh, studies that have come out, for example, in the popular press not too long ago um, about Ambien that showed mm -hmm. that here's a product on the market that actually uh, affected women and differently than men. And that wasn't just a function of our size, it was actually a function of the, the difference in our chromosomes, that mm -hmm. men are different from women. Well, precision medicine takes it even further. We don't just look at the fact that there's different genders or different ethnicities and races, but actually each person is an individual who should be treated based on their genetic profile and what is the exposure that they have in their environment, lifestyle, and diet. Wow. Okay. And other factors. And so these are big words. Yes. Why is why is Mizzou the place to tackle these these big, you know, grand challenges as as we say yeah. here in Mizzou? Well, I'll tell you, you know, I I have been so excited about the translational precision medicine complex since even before I started here as a dean. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, the part of the aspects of Mizzou that got me so excited about coming here. Um, were the potential and the capabilities that we have on this campus related to uh, medical initiatives. And what do I mean by that? The biomedical innovations that can occur here are very unique because of a number of factors. So and I'll just I'll just name a few. Sure. So for example, we're one of only 10 universities in the country that have engineering medicine and veterinary medicine on the same campus. That might not sound like a big deal, but frankly, when it comes to truly doing one health, so we can we can look at initiatives and health that we do for our companion our companion animals. However, we also have at Mizzou the only NIH-funded swine center, mm -hmm. and like it or not, um, we are quite similar to pigs in a lot of ways. <laughs> um, and I'll say we're, we're much more similar to, to pigs um, than we are to some of the, the small mammal uh, mm -hmm. research, like, like mice and rats. Right. So we have the only NIH-funded swine center at Mizzou, which allows us to um, use the swine models as uh, models of human disease. We also, if we do need to go from the small animal to the large animal for some critical research, say that's that uh, looking in cancer or vascular neural diseases, um, we also have the only NIH-funded rat center mm -hmm. in the country, and we're one of only four NIH-funded mouse centers in the country, and actually only three of those are held at universities. So we're wow. one of only three university NIH-funded mouse centers. Mm -hmm. So we have these incredible capabilities on the same campus, and then when you bring in the fact 
that we have the MU research reactor. Right. Universities, uh, the strongest university research reactor of any place in the country, which is doing unbelievable work already in radioisotopes and radiopharmaceuticals in the cancer space. So you have all these amazing capabilities and strengths on this one campus that don't exist anywhere else. Mm -hmm. You have uh, incredible faculty in the three colleges I already named. You know, I, mm -hmm. I talked about um, or, or, or in engineering, medicine, and veterinary medicine on one campus. But then, of course, we also have um, groundbreaking research and world-class, I think we're eighth in the world in animal sciences, oh, wow. which is in the College of Agriculture, Food, and Natural Resources. Right. And then arts and sciences, we also have amazing work happening in medicinal chemistry, which of course also then ties in when we talk about truly translating precision medicine. So we have all of these colleges and schools on this one campus. We have these pockets of, of faculty working in these areas, but we, ha we don't have a single place where we can truly bring them all together and translate the technologies. Mm -hmm. And that's what, that's what would happen in the translational precision medicine complex. Mm -hmm. It allows these incredible faculty and scientists we already have on campus to come together and by incorporation of these new facilities, which would include GM, uh, good manufacturing practices space, mm -hmm. clean room space at levels that we don't have on campus yet, okay. puts them all in this one location and actually allows them the ability to translate because we would have facilities that um, now that would, would have these capabilities, but then also to recruit in these, these areas that we might still have you know, the, the glue to really bring these together. Mm -hmm. You can recruit the best in the world when you have um, a facility like the Translational Precision Medicine Complex. Yeah. So we are at the hub of strengths that we need to really take off in this area and address some really critical needs in healthcare with mm -hmm. respect to precision medicine, but also with the creation of this facility it would allow us to recruit and retain gosh, even, even uh, the best and the brightest in the world right. to come here. So let's talk a little bit about the building. And I know there's not, we don't have a, a like a, you know, a nice, not a, <laughs> we just haven't gotten to the point where we have a, a rendering yet or anything, but we have an idea of general idea of size, yes. timeline, like we, I think we know what day it's going to yes. open, right? Yes. So just talk a little bit about the, the timeline, about what we think in terms of space, and, and you've referred to uh, good manufacturing processes, wet labs, dry labs, that kind of thing. Yes. What, so I think that I've heard something before about the flexibility of the space. Absolutely, yes. So we, we're, the design and, and the programming process going into this facility is to make it as flexible and adaptable as possible, and with really a lot of collaboration open collision spaces because we collision are spaces collision I like that spaces. yes yes but nobody gets hurt it's all right, exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, yeah. <laughs> um, so really bringing in these people from very disparate interdisciplinary backgrounds they have different expertise um, um, and training and so you but you want those collisions to happen with mm -hmm. the people with the engineers with the clinicians with with the scientists um, to come together to really um, come up with these out-of-the-box approaches but but let me let, uh, let me I'm digressing I'm going down Not a different tangential sure. path let me talk a little bit about the building which is really incredible um, the uh, plan as of right now is that this would be close to 275,000 square feet a little okay. bit over 274,000 square feet it would have a basement space that would have a vivarium 
that would have both small animal but a really uh, extensive space to large animal. Okay. Uh, very advanced imaging facilities, um, but everything you could think of from the electron mi microscopy, um, but also uh, likely SPECT CT or maybe PET CT, still deciding on which okay. of those we want to do. Um, uh, a Titan and uh, seven Tesla uh, MRI, which really, again, so um, uh, magnetic uh, resonance imaging. So really allowing us to take imaging data of patients, and that can be both our human patients and mm -hmm. our companion animal patients. This really serves wow. um, not just our our patient population um, that we're really focused on, obviously, from the human side, but also our companion animals, mm -hmm. and really take imaging data that can then be um, analyzed with really advanced big data analytics. Right. So we have this imaging space, this vivarium space in the, in the basement, and then on this first floor, there'd be some more imaging space, but also a very advanced, what's called a cave two, a okay. virtual reality environment that, oh, wow. um, investigators, so from, again, you're thinking about these people with very different backgrounds and training. They might be clinicians working with, side-by-side uh, -side with engineers and scientists, uh, coming in and trying to talk to each other and understand what what each one is saying. If someone's saying, I want to do a very advanced um, uh, coding al algorithm for looking at mapping some of these uh, genetics and then also looping in some of this epigenetic information we have about environment and lifestyle, you can walk into this cave too, put on these 3D glasses and and be immersed, say, in in genes, in molecules, right? And you can they can really talk to each other and collaborate in a space that is fully visual in a, in a three-dimensional realm as they go in there. So that's the cave too. The GMP or good manufacturing processes space is really what needs to happen for translation of technologies. Okay. So this is clean room space and, and clean room um, comes in various classes. We talk about, you know, class 100,000, 10,000, 1,000, 100, and that gets more and more sensitive. It's, a, it's referring to the um, amount of particles in, in, in that space. Mm. So if you need to create, for example, very sensitive electronic equipment, you might need something very sensitive like a class 100. If you're working with some cells and tissues, you might not need it quite that sensitive. It might be a class 1,000 or class 10,000. So we're planning the space so that you have modular, flexible, adaptable environment to expand or shrink mm -hmm. that GMP, good manufacturing processes and clean room space based on the technology that's being developed and translated in the facility. Wow. And then as you move up in floors, uh, floors two, three, and four, for example, this these are um, open, almost bullpen-like, lots of lab benches, flexible, um, uh, adaptable spaces that you've got people that are working on chemical synthesis, material synthesis, novel biomaterials, side by side with people in the biospace. They might be uh, looking at cells and tissues, um, but also in open communication with people in the big data analytics space, mm -hmm. so the bioinformatics, the health informatics, those that are taking this uh, you know, terabytes of data and trying to interpret it um, to help drive solutions and treatments for, um, for for different types of neural diseases or, or cancer or vascular, yeah. like I said. So these individuals all work together in these spaces. And then we also have programming for an innovation space. One floor 
that is open to um, talk to outside industry partners. Mm -hmm. um, would an outside industry partner like to come in and say, I would like to lease this entire floor because I can see how the work that's happening here, I want to work really closely with you, or multiple industry partners, I want to work really closely with you mm -hmm. to translate these technologies, to, to come up with the next uh, chemotherapeutic, uh, for example. Sure. So it's, it's an incredible facility, but again, very flexible and adaptable where um, scientists, principal investigators will move in and out as research questions grow and evolve, as priorities change, as new technology and, and information is gained. Um, as we learn more, then, then it's, it's fully adaptable. It is not owned by a department or by a college that mm -hmm. says, this is my space, it's not an individual PI. It is um, adaptable and flexible for people to move in and out um, as our research uh, priorities and as the questions to, to help people uh, change. That you know for for the biomedical uh, research that's occurring in there. Right, and so when is move-in date? When when do we get October to cut the ribbon? October nineteenth, twenty twenty-one. October nineteenth, twenty twenty-one. That's what that's what we are pushing for. Eight forty-five a.m. October nineteenth, twenty twenty twenty-one. I think I'm free that day. I think I'll be there. <laughs> um, so once we get it open. And, and you, you touched on this a little bit, but what are the solutions and products uh, that we're going to be able to create in the TPMC? And you mentioned, uh, you know, chemotherapeutics and other things like yeah, that. So yeah. what are just so some of the examples that, like, um, someone along the street or <laughs> someone reading a newspaper is going to read and say, wow, they did this at the TPMC? Well, so let me give you an example of something that, that um, happened fairly recently that um, I, I've spoken to some of my colleagues about and said, my gosh, if we had the TPMC, we, we could have potentially done that here. Mm -hmm. So as I had mentioned, MER, our incredible uh, ME research reactor, incredible research reactor, 10 megawatt, strongest of, of any university in the country. They um, produce really incredible radioisotopes, radiopharmaceuticals. Um, and one of the latest um, is one that is now in a product called Lutathera. And this radioisotope, it's, it's LU-177, I think. I think I know that one pretty well. <laughs> yeah, sure. I was reading about that last night. Yeah. So LU-177 was um, developed at Murr. And my understanding is that Merck, because we, we don't have the GMP, clean, everything in place to translate fully all of that on our campus, uh, they, they, they sold it to a, a company in Italy. Okay. So that company in Italy, uh, in essence, from, and again, I don't have all the details, mind you, they just developed the cage that, mm -hmm. that would encapsulate this radioisotope, radiopharmaceutical. Novartis purchased Mm. that from that Italian company for uh -huh. 3.9 billion dollars and now nice. have Lutathera which is either on the market or will be on the market very soon and um, incredible impact on pancreatic cancer which right. as you recall is the one that Steve J you know people people just don't recover from pancreatic cancer from right. from this from the past that we what we had heard um, and so if we had had the TPMC that 3.9 billion could we have just and and i i don't see why we couldn't could we have done that in-house could we have translated that further could a novartis have just bought it from us at us, the tpmc yeah. could that have been economic impact mm -hmm. um that resonated throughout the state 
Now, so, and, and again, we don't know everything. Well, I think we're gonna have some incredible pharmaceuticals that will come out of this. I also think maybe we'll have some amazing sensors that mm-hmm. are developed that um, that can better um, allow us to diagnose uh, patients and, and maybe understand um, earlier onset of some um, uh, dementia and Alzheimer's disease and, and some of these uh, neural disorders that that do we have to um, can we can we diagnose those more quickly can we treat them on a patient specific basis like we do like we're really learning a lot about with immunoengineering for cancer mm-hmm. is there more that we can be doing on a patient specific basis to address some of these really um, critical areas of disease um, for, uh, like I said, the neural cancer and, and vascular spaces. And I say vascular, not just cardiovascular, right. because vascular goes both ways. We have the cardiovascular diseases, which we want to treat, but if we better understand vascularity, that there's also some links now that they're showing with, with some of these neural uh, mm-hmm. diseases and, and ways to treat. And of course, uh, vascularity is critical in tissue engineering and regenerative medicine. So mm-hmm. could we be uh, looking at ways to create um, new tissues for patients based on their own uh, research in my lab? I work on uh, something called adipose-derived stem cells, which okay. are stem cells you can isolate. We can do a little liposuction and take mm-hmm. stem cells out from patient fat, and we can regenerate new tissues for a patient wow. using their fat-derived stem cells. So. Can we look at ways in the TPMC that we take a patient's own fat-derived stem cells and and know more things about them now, um, including their DNA, their genetic profile, and their epigenetics, their lifestyle, environment, and diet that we can better create uh, new tissues for someone. Um, Of course, having the veterans in uh, the VA, uh, the Veterans Hospital here too is, is huge. We have I think almost over 40 million records of veterans in in the Truman Truman VA Hospital. Imagine if we can take um, the the big data capabilities we have in the TPMC to analyze all of that data. Can we come up with better ways to address post-traumatic stress disorder in our veterans and and some of these um, uh, other um, issues because we have an incredible database that we can look at uh, from an informatics standpoint to come up with better treatments. Um, mm-hmm. So there's so much that can occur there and, and it links back to the uniqueness of, of Mizzou, right? Yeah. I mean, to have all of this on one campus, I mean, you know, I, the Veterans Hospital right there, right within there. walking yeah, yeah. distance as well. So there's so much that can occur here in this space. Um, and, and like I said, it's part of why I've been, I've been thrilled about this since I remember before I came that when I signed on the dotted line that I was going to start here and, and there was uh, myself and multiple other deans on the campus and mm-hmm. Mark McIntosh and, and so many at the table talking about this. Um, I don't think it can't be done anywhere else. I'm really excited about the, the impact that we could have. Clearly have a lot of things going on. <laughs> and thank you very much for making time for us here today. Let's pretend, last time we did a lightning round, we won't do a lightning round, but I got one question. Oh no! <laughs> pretend you have an hour to yourself. What do you do with that hour of free time? I take my kids and we take the dogs and we walk uh, down the MKT dog uh, down the MKT trail to the dog park. That's an We love it. Good answer. That's what we do on the weekends. Absolutely love it. All right, Dean LeBoa, thank you very much for your time today. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank Wonderful you. to be here.
Welcome back to Studio 109. Wow, that sounds extremely weird. Definitely used to saying 306D. But, however, uh, thank you again to Dean Leboa for joining us. Uh, before we wrap up, we want to give a couple of quick plugs. If you're interested in learning more about giving to Mizzou, you can visit our website at giving.missouri.edu or like Mizzou Giving on Facebook. Hey, I'd like to can I interject here. Oh, of course. If someone were to make a gift on giving.missouri.edu, and you go on the online form and it says, uh, tell us why you're making this gift. If you say, I'm making this gift because I listen to Mizzou Our Time to Podcast, Eric Ferguson himself will call you and thank you for your gift. I'm just, I'm putting that out there. He That is he something will, I will do. He will really do that. He will. <laughs> uh, and if you'd like to learn more about the Mizzou Alumni Association, you can visit Mizzou.com and follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And MySpace. And, and MySpace, apparently. Uh, we'll be back with another episode next month. Uh, thank you for listening to Mizzou Our Time to Podcast. M-I-Z. Z-O-U.